good morning, everyone. Uh, today we're going to be in Psalm 146. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 146, please. And what I want to talk about this morning is, is how to both become and remain a person who is full of praise to our God. And to not just be joyful and grateful to God when everything in your life is going well, it's all running smoothly, and all the pieces are fitting together perfectly, and as our culture would say, even the stars seem like they're aligned. But that we would praise God even when everything in your world is falling apart and collapsing before your very eyes. Even when all hope seems lost, when disaster is struck, when chaos is all around. What I want to talk about this morning is how you too can sing with the psalmist in Psalm 146. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. And the reason I want to take it from this angle is because during this time of year, this obviously an incredible amount of joy in the air. Even if it's a show, our culture, people all around in our society today tend to put on a, a happy face. And the reason is because it's Christmas time. This is a time of laughter and celebration and joy and family get-togethers and all of that kind of stuff. But it's during this time of year, the same time of year, that many in our society, maybe even many in this room today, are dealing with unimaginable and unbearable pain and heartache and grief. Maybe the loss of a loved one. This is the first year that they're not here. Maybe a broken relationship. Maybe you don't know where you fit in or belong. Maybe your kids are gone. They're not home. You don't have anywhere to go for Christmas. Maybe 2023 has just been a hard year. This is a time of tremendous joy and a time of tremendous pain for many people. And so what I want to talk about today from Psalm 146, is how to become and remain full of praise, even when we're not on the mountaintop and having a spiritual high, but even during those very low valleys when we're walking through even the shadow of death, how can we both become and remain full of praise? And let me be honest with you up front, this statement, this question, it's not in our psalm today. But whether the writer of this psalm intended it or not, I believe that he gave us three answers to this question. Three practical ways that we can develop this type of lifestyle. And the number one way, number one, is, is to commit your heart. Commit your heart. This type of life requires determination and discipline. It, it, it's the attitude and the mindset that says, no matter what may come, no matter what life throws my way, I will give thanks to my God, and I will praise him all the days of my life. Number one, commit your heart. Number two, change your focus. Change your focus. As we'll see in our passage today, do not put your trust in all of your hope in any one individual, whether that be a church leader, government leader, even your spouse. The object of your faith must always remain Jesus Christ alone. And the reason for that is because people will fail and fall, but listen to this, our God remains faithful through it all. And so commit your heart and change your focus if it needs to be changed. Keep your eyes on him. And number three is to confess God's greatness. How can we both become and remain full of praise, confess God's greatness, sing about who he is and everything that he's done for you, testify and share with others about the things that he's done in your life, but not only that, but remind yourself of his constant care and provision, how he has blessed you, he's answered your prayers, he has safeguarded you, kept you safe and secure all the days of your life, because the fact that you and I are here today tells me two things. Number one, our God has been extremely good to each and every one of us. Because there's not one person in this room who deserved to wake up this morning. 
There's not one, one of us here that did something so extraordinary yesterday that God's like, man, they earned another day. I'll give it to them. We didn't do any of that. And yet he, he filled our lungs with his breath of life this morning and allowed our heart to keep beating. That is a sign of a good God. And number two, our God is incredibly great because there's no telling how much. We, we may go through hard times in, life, in this life, but there's no telling how much disaster and evil has attempted to come our way, was meant to come our way, and yet our God has spared us and has rescued us from all sorts of disaster and trials that we don't even know about. Our God is in, extremely good, and he is incredibly great. And so how to both become and remain full of praise, number one, commit your heart, change your focus, and confess God's greatness. Let's pray, and then we'll, then we'll read Psalm 146. Heavenly Father, pray that you would teach us your word. Holy Spirit, apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 146 says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. This is the God that we're praising and proclaiming this day. He executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord is the one who sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord, this God, will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. The first way to become and remain full of praise to our God is to commit your heart. And I want you to notice right off the bat, notice the command here and the determination. I mean, you can almost visualize the psalmist pounding his chest, looking down, speaking to his soul, saying, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Because this isn't, this isn't a command for other people. He's not looking out into an audience commanding someone else to do this. As is seen even in the, in the next verse, the only one that this individual is commanding is himself. He is making this determination for himself. This is personal here. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. This is what he is determining for himself. And it reminds me of Joshua in the Old Testament. Joshua led Israel into the land of Canaan to take possession of their inheritance. What God had promised Abraham way back when is finally coming to fruition. And after the initial conquest of the land, they take it over. Joshua divides up the territory and he sends out the various tribes, Issachar, Asher, Zebulun. He sends them all out. Go take possession of your homeland. But after many years... Joshua is old. He's advanced in age. He knows that he's about to pass off the scene, and he wants to leave Israel with some words of advice, some words of counsel. He wants to remind them of the faithfulness of God. Listen, he calls the tribes back to the city of Shechem, and he summons up the elders before all of the people, all the congregation, and he looks at them, and he says, it was the Lord God who exodused us from Egypt. 
He raised the Red Sea. He caused us to walk right through. He journeyed with us through the wilderness. He traveled with us into the land of Canaan, across the Jordan, and he delivered us from the Canaanite nations. He is the one who fulfilled every word that he had ever spoken. He is a promise-keeping God. And he's reminding them of this, and he's calling them together to renew their commitment to the Lord at this time. And he charges them, therefore, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Commit your heart to him and obey him. Walk in his ways. Trust his word. But Joshua says this, that regardless of how Israel would respond, regardless of how future generations down the line would choose to act, he said in Joshua twenty four fifteen, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He made that determination for himself and for his family. And what this world and this church desperately needs is for faithful men and women to stand up and to command their spirits, to determine that for their own lives and commit their hearts saying, I don't care what life throws my way. I don't care what comes about. I will give thanks to my God and I will praise him forever. That is what this world and this church needs. And the NLT, the New Living Translation, puts it this way. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God with my dying breath. My very last breath belongs to you, Lord. Now let me ask you this question. If you were told you had 24 hours left to live, what are the first things that you would do that come to your mind? You have 24 hours left. What are you going to do? First things that pop into your mind. Maybe you'd want to spend time with family and friends, you want, you want to spend your final moments with your loved ones. There's nothing wrong with that. Maybe you want to knock out a few items on your bucket list. I've never been there. I've never done that. You only have 24 hours to do it. Maybe you want to do some out-of-the-ordinary activity like parasailing or skydiving. My generation would say YOLO. You only live once. And you've got 24 hours to do it. So what are you going to do? Maybe you would cash in on your investments. You get a loan, you're not going to have to pay it off. Someone else will. So you get a loan, you spend it all on worldly pleasures, experiences, whatever else it might be. But let me ask you this follow-up question. Would God even make it on your list? And if so, at what point did he show up? Because I, I think if we were honest, many of us, would admit that praising God probably wasn't the first thing that popped into our mind. He may have been third or fourth, but the fact that he is not always, always on the forefront of our mind or the tip of our tongue is a symptom of a heart problem. Let me be vulnerable with, the sec uh, for you, with, with you for a second. I can't even imagine how many times I've sat down to create a budget. And as I'm writing down as many as expenses as I can think of, gas, utilities, life insurance, home, you know, all the normal things, I'm about to wrap everything up, and then all of a sudden it pops into my mind, I didn't put anything down that was church-related. Missions, giving, offering, anything about the Lord or about advancing his kingdom in this world. It just pops into my mind at the last second. And this isn't a message about giving. It's not a psalm about where your money's at. This is a psalm about where we are at collectively and individually. Where is your heart? That is what this psalm is about. And my flesh would say, just chalk it off and, and just say, well, I was just saving the best for last. But here's the truth. I forgot about him. That is the truth of the situation. And so what does that mean? That means that God gets the leftovers. There's an example of this in Genesis 4. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord 
an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. And people have read this, these verses for thousands of years and asked the same question. Why did God have regard for Abel and his offering, but God did not have any regard for the offering that Cain brought? And the answer is right here. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. You see, it's kind of like that budget illustration I just gave. Cain was walking through the garden at some point during the day, and it just he's just doing normal things, the way that you take care of a garden. And it pops into his mind, oh, today's offering day. I didn't even think about that. And so he picked some corn, he dug up some beets, he picked some tomatoes, threw them all in his basket, he brought them before the Lord, he said, here you go, all glory to you, and he walked away. Ladies, if, if, imagine this, I'm not trying to get anyone in trouble here, but hus- imagine your husband sitting here right with you, and he realizes tomorrow's Christmas. All right, I forgot. My wife has decorated the tree, she's put a whole bunch of presents under that tree with my name on it. I didn't get her anything. I haven't even thought about it. And so he drops you off at home. He drives to Walmart real fast. He grabs the cart, runs down the aisle. He's throwing things in the cart as quickly as possible. Takes it home, poorly wraps it, throws it under the tree, says, here you go. I love you. Merry Christmas. You know how disingenuine that is? The Lord had no regard for Cain and his offering because Cain had no regard for the Lord. Didn't even think twice about him. God got the leftovers. He just got some of the fruit. Whereas Abel, in contrast, perfect contrast here, Abel went through his flock and he examined all of his sheep and he found the firstborn lamb, the best of the best, and said, God, I know there's, there's no guarantee of a secondborn, but I offer this up to you in faith. I, and I'm so grateful that you have provided. That is the type of offering that the Lord has regard for, the type of offering and worship uh, that the, the psalmist exhibits right here, an intentional determination of one's heart, saying, I will command my spirit. I will determine my path. I will commit my heart to first and foremost praise my God. I will honor him with my first thought, my very first thought, the moment I wake up, and I will lay before him my final breath. We are called to commit our hearts and to command our spirits. And so the first way to become and remain full of praise is to commit your heart. Number two, the second way to become and remain full of praise is to change your focus. And, and keep this in mind because the starting question is, how can I both become and remain a person who is full of praise? Someone who lives this type of lifestyle And the answer is to commit your heart and to change your focus. And part of changing your focus, now the psalm takes us into the next few verses, is not putting your trust in princes or in powerful people. Verse 3 says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. The New Living Translation says it this way, Don't put your confidence in powerful people. There is no hope for you there. And yet time and time again, what do we see? What do we do? But people putting their hope, putting their trust, putting their faith in religious leaders, presidential candidates, Hollywood's best, this girl, 
that guy, the media, so on and so forth. We see it all over the place. And the reason is because inside of each and every one of us, there exists an internal and desperate desire that God put there, but an internal and desperate desire to know that somebody is in control. That somebody has a plan and a solution to the problem at hand. That somebody is able to fix the mess that we've created in this world. That somebody is going to at some, some time arrive on the scene and save the day. We all have that desire in us. It's why activist groups gather such a large following. Because they have a cause. There's someone leading the charge. It's why people walk away from Jesus... Because some religious person on Twitter who just left Bethel or Hillsong posted that they're no longer a Christian or a pastor. They've never even met this person, and yet the person's posting online that they're now enlightened and they're an atheist. People walk away from Jesus because of that. It's, it's why our society, United States of America, will be gearing up for political war in the next few months as we enter into election season Listen to these words from Psalm 146. Put not your trust in princes, in the Son of Man, in whom there is no salvation. Why? Because when his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. New Living Translation says it this way. When they breathe their last, they return to the earth, and all their plans die with them. And this is the reason why people need Jesus even more than they realize. Because... All of their plans die with them. This truth is constant for the wicked and the righteous. It's constant for the godly and the ungodly, for the evil and the good, even for Jesus himself. Everybody has plans and everybody dies. It is the natural course of this life. And Jesus came onto the scene and he had plans of glory He had plans of salvation and of the kingdom and the eternal state. And when he was on that cross and they murdered our Savior and they stuffed him away in a grave, all of those plans died with him that day. But three days later, this is what separates him from all other humans in all human history, is that three days later when he broke free from that tomb, all of his plans rose to life with him that day in full force. And he is the only one who is able to bring about justice for all, true and lasting peace, and the change that we all need. He's the only one who is able to do this. And so how can we both become and remain people who are full of praise to our God? The only way to do that is to change our focus, to keep our eyes on him and on him alone. Because if we have our eyes on other people, or if we trust in man, and that's where our focus is, we will always be disappointed every time. Because people will fail and fall, but our God, he remains faithful through it all. If your focus is on Christ, then joy and praise will fill and flood your soul from the inside out. And even when the whole world is falling apart and collapsing before you, you can rest, relax, and rejoice because you know the God who oversees all human affairs. And he sovereignly holds all life in his hands. That is the perspective change that God's people need to have in this life. So-and-so is promising peace while this person is fighting for justice. That individual is preaching change, but in the end, nothing lasts. It's all meaningless because they all serve four-year terms, two terms max, and then it's over. And a host of executive orders are signed in an attempt to do away with everything the other guy did anyway. 
And so it's meaningless. And so we must commit our heart and we must change our focus. Third way to become and remain full of praise to our God is to confess God's greatness. Confess God's greatness. And I want you to notice the contrast here. Verse 3 says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. But verse 5 enters a new section. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. What does this tell us? It tells us, verse 3 and 4, don't trust man. Don't put your confidence in powerful people. There's no hope for you there. There's no salvation for you there. But verse 5 enters the new section. We praise God's greatness. You can trust this God. You can put all of your hope in this God. You can trust him. You can rely on him. You can depend on him every step of the way because this God is faithful. And this is something that even Jacob, the patriarch of the Old Testament, the giant in the faith of the Old Testament that we read about, even he had to learn how to do this. Even he had to learn to develop this kind of lifestyle. And just in case you don't know, Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. So Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. And all of his sons had all sorts of descendants, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, just on and on it goes. And all of his descendants from the 12 sons ended up being divided up into what we know of as the 12 tribes of Israel. And you may think, well, certainly Jacob, this giant in the faith, would know not to put his trust in man, but in God alone. It's obvious, right? And yet when we pick up the Bible, we flip through the book of Genesis, and we're reading through his life. We're like, this guy's a mess. He needs help. Jacob had to come to the point where he committed his heart. He had to come to this point personally. It says in chapter 28, Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. What's he doing? Well, Jacob is at this point in Genesis 28 where he's launching out on his own. He's going out uh, away from his parents' household. He's no longer under their roof. And he is forced to make a decision at this point. Am I going to stick with my parents' faith? Or am I going to choose my own direction? And at this point, he says, you know what? This is the way that I'm going. And this is the God that I'm going to serve. I am going to continue walking in this direction. He came to the point, the place where he committed his heart. But not only that, but he changed his focus. Jacob said to God, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan. And now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother. This is a time in his life when a very dark episode from his past was now creeping up to bite him. It was creeping up to haunt him. And it was forcing him to recognize the only one who had preserved and protected and provided for him that entire time. He was forced to reconcile, uh, recognize that because there was nowhere else to turn. No amount of wealth could fix the problem at hand. There was no military that he could run to. There's no other God that he could call out to. He was at the end of his rope. God let him get to that point in order to get him to change his focus. And Jacob said to the Lord, as they're wrestling all night, him and the Lord Jesus wrestling all night long, and the sun is just peeking over the hills. And, and the Lord said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And all I can say to that is, what if we prayed like that? I will not let you go unless you bless. I will not 
let you go. I will not stop praying. I will not stop asking. I will not stop seeking and pursuing you until you answer me. That's the type of prayer, that's the type of focus God loves to see. Jacob committed his heart. He changed his focus. And by the end of his life, we see that Jacob can't help himself but confess God's greatness. In Genesis 48, it says, Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Israel, that's Jacob, said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. I thought you were dead. And yet God has let me see not only you, but I get to see your kids as well. He's confessing God's greatness. Then Israel, that's Jacob, said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but listen, keep your eyes on God, because God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. He will take you out of Egypt someday, and he will put you in the promised land. And by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven. It took him nearly his entire life, but Jacob finally came to the point where he committed his heart, changed his focus, and he confessed God's greatness. But it took him 130 years to do that. You and I will not live that long. And so we have to do it in a much shorter time. And so the psalmist is saying, this is how you do it. Commit your heart, change your focus, and confess God's greatness. The reason it took him so long is because for much of his life, Jacob was half-hearted, he wasn't all in, and this wasn't really his faith. This was his parents' faith. He was just kind of along for the ride. Not only was he half-hearted and not all in, but for much of his life, he constantly tried to work and maneuver his own way out of hard and difficult situations. He didn't trust the Lord. He didn't seek the Lord. He didn't ask for help. He tried to do it all on his own, in his own way of working and doing. And not only that, but in life, he always tried to get ahead of somebody else at others' expense. He'd put other people down. He'd steal from them, swindle them, manipulate them, do everything he could in order for him to get to the top. And for much of his life, he lived in bitterness and despair. Jacob, for decades, lived the woe is me type of life, which is so common in our culture today. Woe is me type of life, instead of the praise to God type of life. Reminds me of Naomi from the book of Ruth. Naomi had lost her husband, her two sons, pretty much everything that she had to her name. And they're living in a foreign country at the time. And Naomi says, Ruth, I'm going to go back home to my homeland, to Israel. And Ruth says, I'm going with you. And as they're traveling, they cross the border. They get into the land. And and distant relatives and old friends of Naomi from a long way back, they recognize her. Word starts to spread. Naomi's back. And as people are coming up to her, they say, Naomi, Naomi. And she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. And she spelled it out for them. Mara means bitter. So call me bitter because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. For years, she lived this type of life, this woe is me type of life, instead of the praise to God type of life. And because of her attitude and mindset, she missed all the blessings that were right in front of her. The book ends well, but she lost a huge part of her life. 
Now, I want you to hear me when I say that putting these three habits into practice, it will not remove the pain of whatever situation you may be going through, but it will give you peace in the storm, and it will give you faith to walk on water even when everything is raging around you. Verse 5 says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. And so let me ask you these questions. Are you oppressed? Are you oppressed? Because this God, he will give you justice. 100% guaranteed. May not be on your timetable, but it will happen. Every time, God will give you justice. Are you hungry? Because our God, he will feed you. He feeds the sparrows, the birds of the air, the animals. They all have their food. They're all taken care of. How much more does he love you? He is going to take care of you. Are you a captive or a prisoner? Is something holding you down? Is there a sin pattern in your life that's keeping you in chains and holding you in bondage? Is the enemy, Satan himself, oppressing you and tormenting your soul? You know that our God has the power and the authority to completely deliver you from the enemy. And he has the desire and the delight not only to rescue you, that is what he desires most, to rescue you, to save you, but he thoroughly enjoys crushing the head of that wicked snake. And he will set you free if you trust in him, if you walk with him. Are you blind and unable to see? All of these are from our passage, by the way. He will give you sight. He will open your eyes. He will do things that no one else can do in your life. Are you weighed down or burdened or feeling low to the ground? You know what our God will do? Our God thrives in raising people up and magnifying your light as the noonday. That is exactly what our God wants to do with your life. Are you hurting and broken, struggling with the loss of a loved one or a broken relationship? 2023 has been a bad year. Maybe you're unsure of where you belong or where you fit in. I want you to know that you are his, and he loves you more than you could ever imagine. He cares for you. He will comfort you. He cares for you more than you could ever know. He went to the cross for you. The Bible actually says that God did not even spare his own son. His most valued, most treasured possession in all the universe did not even spare his own son, and yet he gave him up graciously and generously for you and I. How much more will he give us all things? Like, how will he not also give us graciously and generously all things? He's not holding anything back. And he made it this simple, this easy, at the perfect time, the perfect time in human history, when he raised up Rome as the conquering nation to bring all nations into one empire, to make a global trade route, made a global trade language, so that he could insert the gospel message and it could go quickly and far like never before all over the world. At the perfect time in human history, our God sent forth his son to be born of a virgin 
fulfilling all of the Old Testament prophecies, doing what nobody else could do in all of human history. God did it. And Jesus lived his life. He grew up from, from infant to toddler to child to teenager to adult. And he goes on. He's preaching his ministry. He's, he's, he's living the perfect life that none of us should live. Even if we had a million lifetimes to retry, we would never get it. And yet he did it the first time. Perfectly successful. When Satan came his way, he couldn't even tempt him. Jesus never succumbed to the devil. Jesus lived an absolutely perfect life, and he's preaching the kingdom and the glory and the salvation and the eternal state. He's telling you, he's showing us, the people, this is what it's like in my kingdom, the one that I'm going to set up. There will be no more death, no more pain, no more heartache, no more sorrow, none of that, only life. There may not be health, wealth, and prosperity in this life, but there is in that one. And that is everything that Jesus talked about. And as he was here, the religious leaders and people that day, they hated him. And they were jealous and envious. And so they murdered our Savior. They stuffed him away in a tomb, buried his body. But on the third day, I mean, he just broke free in full force. And he lives forevermore. Because whether we were there 2,000 years ago or not, whatever decision we would have made, he went to the cross for us. He went to the cross for you. Because you and I are naturally, by default, separated from God. And we need to be forgiven. And he desires to forgive every single person in this world. He desires to remove all guilt and all separation to bridge that gap between heaven and earth, between man and God. He's that bridge. Not only does he desire to remove the guilt, but he wants to remove all shame. And he wants to restore you to a place of honor. He wants to remove all fear that you may be facing, and he wants to give you power over the evil one. You don't have to sin. You can be free. He wants to remove all the chains. And not only that, but he wants you to know that you may not be accepted or included in certain groups in this world, but you are accepted at his table. You belong at his table. And he has done everything in his power to make that a reality. And so he's calling each and every one of us to come to him because we are welcome with him. And all we have to do, he didn't, you don't have to do an extraordinary task. You don't have to prove your worth. You and I are not worthy but all we have to do is we have to trust him. We have to look at him and trust that, hey, his sacrifice on that cross was enough to pay the price for my sins. He is a rescuing God, and he died, he rose again to rescue my life from eternal separation. And so the question then becomes, how could we not be absolutely in awe and full of praise to our God? Especially when we consider verse 10. Verse 10 says this, the Lord will reign forever this God that we're talking about, the God who opens the eyes of the blind, the God who defends the defenseless, he fights for the oppressed, the God who stands up on behalf of you, the God who has done everything in his power to save you, to rescue you, to extend to you a hand of salvation, the God who will be extraordinary in your life. This is the God that will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, your God, O Ridge Church, to all generations. Praise the Lord. And so I wonder if there's anyone in this room today who's been in need of Psalm 146. Anyone feeling burdened or weighed down by life or anxious about the state of the world? 
perhaps you're not on fire like you used to be. Or maybe Christianity, like Jacob, it's not really been your thing. You've just kind of been along for the ride. It's your parents' thing or your spouse's thing or whatever else it might be. But you want to change that. You want to make that decision today to follow him. Maybe you are on fire for Jesus, but you just want to come and say, Lord, I love you. You're not my second thought. You're my first thought. And I lay before you my final breath, and I will praise you. During this last song, the front will be open for all who feel led. The question comes, will you commit your heart? Will you change your focus? Will you confess God's greatness? But please don't leave here today without deciding, yes, Lord Jesus. I love you. I praise you. How to become and remain full of praise. Commit your heart and change your focus and confess God's greatness. So let's praise him.